A new twist in the mysterious Hazel Trembath Elementary fire. Electrical issues have been eliminated by the investigators. What investigators say about the cause and where it started. School expansion in Surrey. We are supporting the Surrey School District to begin planning two new school projects. How some parents say it's too little too late. And workload management. I think this is going to make a difference for the patients of British Columbia. BC rolls out its new nurse-to-patient ratio, with some wondering how we'll hire enough to do the job. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. More than four months after Coquitlam's Hazel Trembath Elementary burned to the ground, police confirm what many suspected. The fire was human caused. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, while the criminal investigation is ongoing, so are efforts to get the school rebuilt. In October, flames destroyed Hazel Trembath Elementary School in Port Coquitlam. Now police are confirming what was suspected. The fire was human caused and criminal in nature. I mean, it's disturbing, obviously, um, but, you know, we kind of already had a bit of an inkling that it was. Um, we had had some fires set um, on the premises multiple times before. Investigators won't reveal if an accelerant may have been used, but say their hunt for the person or persons responsible for the devastating fire has been extensive. We've conducted somewhere in the region of 132 statements. We've canvassed 245 individual locations over a 19 block radius for information. We have reviewed hours of video and we've completed 295 investigative tasks, including a highly comprehensive assessment by expert fire investigators of the site. Despite those efforts, there have been no arrests in the case. The pain that it's caused has left a really big hole and uh, it's still deeply felt today. And my message to the individual or individuals responsible to anyone who knows anything, do the right thing, come forward to police and provide some closure. More than 200 students are now being bused to Coquitlam's Winslow Centre, a 20-minute bus ride each way. Parents are pushing for Hazel Trembath to be rebuilt and soon. We don't want our kids split up. We don't want our schools split up. We want a rebuild, whether it's a permanent rebuild or a prefab. We need our kids back in our community. We understand that these kind of things do take time, but we would like it to be expedited. As for a decision on the future of Hazel Trembath Elementary School, there is no timeline on a decision. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Two new school projects have been given the green light in Surrey. One new school and an addition to another that recently opened. However, critics say it's far less than what's needed to keep up with the growing need. Janet Brown reports. As more people move to Surrey, our government will continue to work with the Surrey School District, the board, of, the board and the city to find solutions to, to the high enrollment growth. Education and Child Care Minister Rachna Singh announcing a new 900-seat elementary school in the Darts Hill neighbourhood and a 500-seat addition to Grandview Heights Secondary. But she admits more schools in Surrey are needed. 
we are playing the catch up. We are, uh, we have a backlog that we inherited. We need so many more uh, secondary schools, elementary schools and additions that are on our capital list and we are are hoping in the fall to get some more, more good news announcements. Last summer, the Surrey School Board submitted a list of priorities to the ministry to address capacity needs, which included nine new schools, 16 additions to existing schools, and 10 site acquisitions. This is where the new Darts Hill Elementary School will be built, just west of 176th Street and south of 20th Avenue. The opposition in Victoria says it is long overdue. And the reality is, is that the number of seats that they've announced today do not even cover the number of new students that we're getting into our school distri district on an annual basis. This is uh, far too little. The proposed new Darts Hill Elementary is only 11 blocks away from Edgewood Elementary. Built in 2021, already it has 14 portables. Construction hasn't slowed in this, this area. It's, it's only kind of continuing to grow. There's like 900 children in the school right now uh, with about 500 spaces. Surrey's mayor says one more new school and the addition at Grandview Heights won't do anything to reduce the number of portables in the district. We still are in a crisis today with just about 400 portables in our school system. The earliest students could be taking a seat in the new Darts Hill Elementary is 2028. Janet Brown, Global News. A protest is underway right now in Surrey ahead of an event featuring an Indian diplomat. The Surrey Board of Trade is hosting India's High Commissioner to Canada, Sanjay Kumar Verma. Troy Charles joins us now from Surrey where that event is taking place. It has been peaceful so far, Troy, but hotel security there is tight. Yeah, Chris, actually, and just as we're speaking right now, the temperature has risen quite a bit. And from what I can tell, I think that Mr. Verma's car is just coming through, maybe going to the underground parking. But the crowd that was just behind me here has all gathered over into the corner. I can imagine maybe his vehicle has entered. But as you mentioned, a very heavy police and security presence. The entrance to the Sheraton, it's on lockdown right now. Anyone trying to enter, you got to show identification at the door. And this is all because the Surrey Board of Trade. Tonight, they're hosting Mr. Verma, India's High Commissioner to Canada. He's slated to speak here at an event coming up. And the fact that that is taking place has many of these protesters behind me and those in the Sikh community furious. Relations between Canada and India have been shaky over the past year. Back in September, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau accused India of being involved in the assassination of Sikh activist and Canadian citizen Hardeep Singh Nijar in Surrey last year. That accusation stoking concerns among Canada's Sikh community. India vehemently denied involvement in Nijar's death, calling it absurd and politically motivated. That claim doing nothing to lower the temperature between the two sides, leaving Sikh activists to question the Surrey Board of Trade's decision to hold such an event in this climate. The Surrey uh, Trade Group is trying to trade the uh, blood for the business, and uh, they are overlooking the human rights violations. Uh, they are overlooking the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms of the Canadians. Um, and then they are trying to cover up the assassination by extending uh, trade with the Indian terror regime, which is being investigated by the Canadian government. 
Now, Chris, I spoke earlier just with the head of the Surrey Board of Trade. They said this event was planned just a month ago, and they respect everyone's right to protest, but they say that this event is just to maintain strong trade uh, relationship with India, a major trade partner. They say that's all that it's about. But we're going to be here for the rest of the evening because, as I mentioned earlier, things have just started to heat up as soon as uh, we came live here. All right, let's hope everybody keeps their cool. Thanks very much. That's Troy Charles reporting from Surrey tonight. B.C. has just become the first province in Canada to implement minimum nurse-to-patient ratios. It's to help ease the workloads in the beleaguered healthcare sector and improve patient care. As Paul Johnson reports, there's also an incentive to attract more nurses to our province. We've got to take action to make sure that this is the best place in the world to be a nurse. Among the actions BC's Ministry of Health is taking is the establishment of a first-in-the-nation set of nurse-to-patient ratios with work beginning immediately and the intention that British Columbians will start noticing the changes by fall. We know that a well-staffed nursing workforce leads to higher job satisfaction and better patient outcomes. The ratios will vary depending on the type of care. But some of the specific ratios will include one nurse per four patients in a medical surgical setting, one to three for palliative care, one to one for intensive care, and one to seven on the night shift. The evidence shows that minimum to nurse patient ratios save lives. Ratios reduce mortality rates and improve the outcomes for patients. Not to mention improving job satisfaction for nurses at a time when there's a global shortage of them. To hire more, the program is coming with $239 million in cash from Victoria, which will help with signing bonuses and continuing their program of maximizing retention of current nurses. As for the ratios, they appear to have been effective in places like California and Australia. British Columbians can soon decide for themselves. I think um, everybody knows uh, the exceptional work that nurses do in our public health care system. Paul Johnson, Global News. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on this announcement. Keith, obviously the nurses seem pleased. Now the hospital mm -hmm. employees union is weighing in. What are we getting from them? Yeah, no sooner had that news conference ended than the HEU issued its own news, news release, basically saying, what about us? So here's an excerpt from that news release from uh, spokesman Mira Broussard. Uh, in addition to ensuring we have appropriate levels of nursing staff in our hospitals and long-term care homes, we asked government to develop similar staffing models for care aides and other members of the care team to further increase the hours of care per resident or patient per day. Sounds like asking for similar ratios that the BC Nurses Union successfully negotiated in their current contract. So the ratios were announced about a year ago when the contract was signed. The details were fleshed out today. The other things I think the HEU may be looking for, and Paul touched on this in his story, are these signing bonuses. So $30,000 signing bonus, bonus for nurses who relocate to remote northern communities and agree to a two-year deal, $20,000 for other rural areas, and $15,000 if they join what's called the Go Health Program, which sees nurses traveling the province. So that's going to unfold in the coming weeks. I just got off the phone with Health Minister Adrian Dix, who says they've already worked with the HEU to establish a number of improvements for people working in their unit, and he expects to work with them to make even more improvements in the months ahead. All right. Well, good to know they're talking and coming up with a better plan for everyone, hopefully. Thanks, Keith. All right.
The B.C. government has hit another roadblock in its attempt to prohibit drug use in public areas like playgrounds. The B.C. Court of Appeal ruling against the government allows the temporary injunction of Bill 34 to stand. That law put limits on where people can use drugs in response to public outcry over the government's decriminalization pilot project. The injunction was granted in late December after the Harm Reduction Nurses Association argued it violated the charter. It's set to expire at the end of the month. A pedestrian has died after a vehicle collision in Victoria this morning. It happened just after 11 o'clock in the Burnside neighborhood on Hillside Avenue between Douglas Street and Blanchard Street. The driver stayed on scene and is cooperating with the investigation. Roads in the area are expected to be closed for at least a little while longer, although they were expecting an update at 6. Nanaimo RCMP are looking for a possible witness to a crash involving a pedestrian Tuesday night. This white pickup truck was caught on camera in the area at the time of the crash, and it's believed the driver might be a witness to the incident. The collision happened around 11.15 in the 200 block of Nickel Street. A woman in her late 50s was airlifted to hospital in Victoria with life-threatening injuries. Police say the pedestrian was crossing the four-lane roadway in an area with no designated crosswalk. The driver, a man in his 40s, remained at the scene. Two men have been charged in a stabbing at Guildford Mall last year. On November 16th, Surrey RCMP responded to reports of a fight inside the shopping center around 4.30 in the afternoon. An 18-year-old man was found with a serious stab wound. Two other men were taken into custody and charges have now been approved against 22-year-old Abdimalik Idol and 18-year-old Tutkwath Kong for assault with a weapon. A B.C. First Nation is taking another step forward in its plans to develop a new tourism destination in the Fraser Valley. But as Alyssa Thibault reports, it's up against another much bigger proposal, and both of them are still awaiting word from the provincial government. This small golf club in Chilliwack now belongs to Chiam First Nation, but it's part of a bigger dream. It's hoped eventually this land will become the base of a sightseeing gondola. A lot of our people struggle. We're working to to build a, a future that creates intergenerational wealth. While the property sale only went through a few weeks ago, the gondola project has been in the works for years, modelled off the Sea to Sky attraction in Squamish. But there's a competing project for the same area around Bridal Falls, an entire ski resort. We're actually going to be two sightseeing gondolas, two alpine villages and the ultimate destination of a, a ski resort, uh, an all-seasons resort that can service, you know, in theory, up to uh, a million people a year. The resort team has said it plans to develop owner partnerships with communities within the Stolo Nation. The gondola project started in 2016, while the resort proposal went public in 2021. It's up to the province to pick one, but there hasn't been any progress in about three years. The two applications have been undergoing separate reviews, the tourism ministry said in a statement. Both are at the preliminary stages, adding it's too early to provide a timeline for when a decision will be made. It's been a very frustrating bureaucratical process with the provincial government. We are meeting with them in the next couple of weeks to discuss this. The president of the ski resort team tells Global News the purchase of the golf course does not impact the Bridal Vale Mountain Resort project in any way, meaning the future of these mountains 
is still in limbo. That's very frustrating for us. We'll have to wait and see what the future holds for this. Alyssa Thibault, Global News. It seems like it could be a scene out of the movie Footloose, a local restaurant fined because some of its patrons were dancing. It was either a $10,000 fine or closure for uh, a week. It happened at this commercial drive location when a liquor inspector noticed there was a party going on. What the owner says about it and how it might inspire a change to some outdated rules. Next on the News Hour. It's supposed to be a one-time prank almost. Then Global gets a hold of us somehow. And the rest is history. More than a decade after the Green Men took Vancouver by storm, they're back. And a remarkable rescue in Kentucky with one lucky trucker pulled to safety. That story a little later as well. But right now, Vancouver has been trying to move past its reputation as a no-fun city for years. But the owners of one restaurant say the enforcement of seemingly antiquated rules shows there's still a long way to go. As Richard Zussman reports, the Commercial Drive restaurant is now facing a big fine because patrons were dancing. It's a story ripped straight from the movie screen, Vancouver's version of Footloose. There's a reason that we have a pretty, pretty bad reputation for being a, a no-fun city. A few weeks ago, Lula's Taverna was slapped with a $10,000 fine or a loss of their liquor license for a week. The reason, in part, guests were dancing. The restaurant, which operates under a food primary, is not allowed to act like a nightclub. Margins continue to get uh, thinner and thinner in the restaurant business. Um, you know, when you get slapped a big $10,000 fine, it definitely hurts your bottom line. And, and you know, like, like we're just trying to get by each week here. All right. BC United leader Kevin Falcon visited on Friday. The restaurant also fined for serving alcohol after having run out of food just past midnight. Another part of the issue was the restaurant hired a DJ and had the lights down too low under the licensing rules. In a Greek restaurant, it is not unusual for people to do a little bit of the Greek dancing. That's part of the fun. We got to have some more fun in this city. We can't have this dour provincial government that's focused on making sure that not only do we not have fun, but we punish the small businesses that are just struggling to survive. The province is responsible for liquor permitting and inspection. Minister Mike Farnler says the government is reviewing the policy and is willing to modernize. It is something that we are are, are looking at because you know if someone wants to dance, hey, they should dance. And to adapt the line from Footloose, Lula's wants to send a message. We're having fun! Yeah! There's a time for bureaucracy and a time to smash plates and dance. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. On the topic of smashing things, coming up, shipbreaking comes to BC. Everybody thinks it's appalling that an activity like that would happen. How residents of this prime oyster harvesting habitat are shocked the industry showed up on these shores. Fire has badly damaged a number of businesses in downtown Osuyas. The flames were first spotted in the local Amigos tour company, or tour guide company on Main Street over the noon hour, eight to ten firefighters and four fire trucks attacked the fire from the back and the front of the building, which also houses a tattoo parlor. At this point, there are no reports of any injuries. The cause of the fire is still unknown. The town of Osuyus has recently issued a water quality advisory for residents because of the fire's impact on the local water system. 
There's some controversy on Vancouver Island these days over a business that dismantles derelict vessels. As Paul Johnson reports, while the company says it's doing nothing wrong, people who live nearby are worried about the effect on the coastal environment. How would you like this as your beachfront beauty shot? It was something that happened unbeknownst to us. We're with the concerned citizens of Baines Sound, a seaside community a few kilometers south of Courtney, where an old log sort site has been converted to a shipbreaking operation, an industry many here had previously never heard of. They're troubled now by what they've learned. They're all full of those hazardous materials. Lead, mercury, cadmium, asbestos. The operation is run by an American-controlled company called Deepwater Recovery. At their site, you can see a number of barges and two derelict ships, one in a partial state of disassembly. There weren't any visible methods of containment on the day we shot this video. So if you take a look at the global shipbreaking industry, you'll see it's concentrated in places like India, Bangladesh, and Pakistan. Here we have British Columbia's portion of that business. Residents here say they recognize it's a necessary process. They just don't believe that this part of the Salish Sea is the right place to be doing it. Everybody thinks it's appalling that an activity like that would happen in this specific place. Daniel Arbor is with the Comox Valley Regional District, who are trying to shut down the operation in the courts. As we spoke, co-owner Mark Juricic confronted us. I have to ask you guys to leave the first possible. Juricic told us while there is asbestos in those ships, it's contained and that the operation is not polluting. He blamed the current problems on Arbor, who he says won't take his calls. The reason we have animosity with this guy is because when all these problems started, we tried to contact him. But the ill will isn't just between neighbor and business. Residents tell us they feel abandoned by government, provincial and federal, neither of which have been able to prevent a hazardous industry showing up in a place they don't feel it belongs. How many times has your MLA been down here to deal with this issue? None. At Bain Sound, Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, a lot of love and respect for Brian Mulroney. Even his longtime political rivals are commenting about what Canada has lost. We're already who BC starts their morning with. The fact that they tune into us means I think that we're doing a good job. Viewers just want trustworthiness. They want us to be credible. Wake up to Global News Morning. Weekdays from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. We are BC's News. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau confirms plans are in the works for a state funeral for former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney. Tributes continue to pour in from across the country and the globe. And Abigail Biman reports on how he's being remembered as a true statesman. The idea of service and devotion to country uh, ran through everything he did. The 23rd Prime Minister reflects on the broad legacy of the 18th. The stick handled very well the relationship with the United States. And even as he was moving forward and signing a historic economic free trade agreement, he was also very, very firm in fighting against acid rain and fighting for a cleaner environment. A testament to his mark on Canada-U.S. relations, Mulroney had the remarkable honour to eulogize both former presidents Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush at their funerals. He stood firmly 
on the side of freedom and against communism in the Cold War. The current opposition leader also reflected on Mulroney's role as a staunch opponent of apartheid in South Africa. That wasn't the popular thing to do, especially for a conservative government, but it just was the right thing to do. And uh, Canadians have always been happy to have been on the right side of that issue. So, you know, he I think we can celebrate a, a really remarkable human being. Mulroney also remembered for his dogged but ultimately failed attempts to bring Quebec into the Constitution. Too late in life, you know. Life is too short. Lucien Bouchard says the pair just recently reconciled their decades-long rift. I'm sad because Canada and Quebec lost a great man. In politics, opposition is opposition. It's like playing hockey. You can fight on the ice, but have a beer together after that. And we had a lot of things in common. Many on both sides of the political aisle are remembering Mulroney's humanity. The foreign affairs minister says her message for young people born after the Mulroney years is to reflect on his ability to be civil and agree to disagree when current politics have become a lot more toxic. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. The online harms bill was introduced in the House of Commons earlier this week. And now that everyone's had a chance to take a closer look at it, critics are raising some serious concerns. Kyle Benning reports. The Liberals' attempt at shutting down online hate is receiving its own backlash as opposition and civil liberty groups claim some of the changes could see infringements on charter rights. Bill C-63, which the Liberals introduced earlier this week, would see stronger regulations around social media companies when it comes to removing harmful content. Justice Minister Arif Varani notes the act would give stronger powers to law enforcement agencies. There are very specific aspects of this legislation that will improve law enforcement and the criminal code and what's called the Mandatory Reporting Act about how the preservation requirements for this kind of material and the ability to actually prosecute it. Organizations have flagged the bill's proposed changes to the criminal code where judges would be given leeway for stricter sentences for people found guilty of sharing hate propaganda. The Canadian Civil Liberties Association also noted the creation of a digital safety agency as a cause for concern given it would be government appointees setting rules and punishments for platforms found to be infringing on regulations. But I think the government here has gone overboard in ways that I think are fairly easy to see and need to be addressed. Legal experts are mixed on whether the proposed new body would be able to monitor and regulate the amount of hate speech Canadians currently face, as well as what speech would be considered hateful. Nothing will work perfectly here, but as long as there are appeal mechanisms, oversight mechanisms, attempt to try to correct things that perhaps haven't worked as they should, then maybe we can get closer to something that gets the balance right. Some note scenarios where the regulating body would be underused or misused. One could well see some of these powers in a sense almost weaponized, where groups on, on various sides begin to file various kinds of complaints, really bogging down the commission. Kyle Benning, Global News. Still ahead, the anticipated return of the Green Men. You kind of feel like a little bit of a superhero. Many hoping their wild antics might be able to help inspire the slumping Canucks. Also tonight, the end of an era for the Whitecaps, why Russell Tybert is hanging up the cleats. That's coming up. Fire crews pulled off a dramatic high-angle rescue on the side of a bridge in Louisville, Kentucky. Take a look. 
A semi-truck crashed through the guardrail on the Clark Memorial Bridge, ended up dangling over the Ohio River. Rescue crews set up a rope system, and a firefighter rappelled down to the stranded driver. He managed to get her into a safety harness and free her from her seatbelt before the pair was lifted safely back up to the bridge deck. She was taken to hospital as a precaution, and the bridge was closed for a few hours while the truck was hoisted up and towed away. Amazing. All right. Uh, we had a little bit of everything, including rainbows in the lower mainland today and some snow. Christy's got all the details now in weather. That's right. Dressed up for spring, though, Chris, because today is officially um, March 1st and the first day of meteorological spring. I'm trying to give everyone a little bit of optimism if you're feeling like this was hard to handle today. But we had that in the forecast, a little bit of everything. So upper levels of the North Shore, we had some problems along Highway 1, the cut as well, heavy wet snow for a period of time. And these are these pockets of precipitation which can bring these downpours of rain, hail and even wet snow. Meanwhile, we had, as Chris said, rainbows as well in those bridges. We are expecting a similar pattern into tomorrow. Look, this was Victoria. So pretty much everything today. Uh, if you're traveling up to Whistler, I want you to be aware we are absolutely still expecting snow tonight and into tomorrow. Expect winter driving. This is a very cold, unstable air mass, and we're going to be contending with it through the weekend. But it will start to break apart a little bit into our Sunday. But it's still expect pretty much everything. Pockets of it. Tonight, we're dropping down to two degrees. Wet snow is still possible. We have a risk of thunderstorms as well. Tomorrow, though, we'll see a bit more blue sky in the mix. And as we trend into Sunday, similar pattern, a bit more blue sky, a little bit less precipitation. But in terms of a real change and a warm up, we're not expecting it until late next week. So this cool, unstable air mass is expected to continue with us for the next little while, which is great news because it continues to bring uh, snowfall to the mountains. In the meantime, look at that. Four degrees is a daytime high in through Nanaimo. We're expecting still the potential for wet snow across Metro Vancouver dropping down to two degrees, six expected tomorrow afternoon. Bit more sunshine in the mix Sunday and into Monday. But as you can see, a normal daytime high is 10. So we're going to remain below seasonal, which is exactly what we need. Tonight's central windows weather window coming to you to, from Tofino. It's not very often that you see this much snow in that area. Meanwhile, just south of there in Victoria, it was sunny. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it was different all over the place. Thanks very much. Looking very spring-like. And uh, I did the same thing. Yes, when the calendar flips, you feel it, don't you? All right, just before we get to Barry and the sports, I want to mention this. A large social housing project opening this spring in the downtown east side will be named after two local philanthropists. The Vancouver Chinatown Foundation is now accepting applications for what they're calling Bob and Michael's Place. It's named after Robert H. Lee, who passed away in 2020, and Michael Audain, two major Vancouver real estate leaders and philanthropists. The building on West Hastings near Abbott Street will include 231 affordable rental homes, more than half of them being rented at the shelter rate. It'll also feature a 50,000 square foot integrated health center that will offer services to the entire community and millions for that project was donated by Bob's widow, Lily Lee, who I know is a regular watcher of Global News. So hi, Lily, and congratulations for that project to come to fruition. All right, here's Barry now with a look ahead to what's coming up on sports. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll see if we can uh, figure out what's ailing the Canucks these days. And also, the Whitecaps open their 14th Major League Soccer season tomorrow afternoon, 4.30 at BC Place against visiting Charlotte. And I think that this is the year where we need to peak. 
As he begins his third full season with this group, Fanny Sartini feels the time is now to contend for the MLS Cup. A lot of people feel that way too. Thanks, Barry. And maybe these guys can help the struggling Canucks. Please welcome back the diabolical duo, the Green Man. Yes, the return of the Green Man and what they love most about their colorful lives. Delay is in for uh, Squire tonight, and uh, we were talking about the need. It just seemed like maybe the Canucks needed a break. They're uh, they're out on their feet, on their yeah. skates right now. It's been been a bit of a tough haul. So yeah, yes, today was a little R and R. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Rick Tockett gave his players a much needed day off today. Rest the body, maybe more importantly, just get a mental break. Canucks are grinding hard right now. Mostly grinding to a halt as far as gathering points. Vancouver's just 1-5-1 and one in its last seven. And we're never in last night's 5-1 loss to the Kings. But their schedule gets much lighter over the next couple of weeks. Just five games in that span as the Canucks try to rediscover their game. For the Canucks, it'll be just one win in their last seven. For the first time this season, the Canucks are searching for answers. It may be as simple as they've hit the wall. A league-high 62 games played, 13 in the last 23 days. It does take a toll. The Canucks play a high-energy game when they're at their best, and right now, the energy is just not there. You know, there's six or seven guys who are just, they're not, their game's not there. Um, for every reason, some guys got heavy legs. And we're going to have to, you know, hopefully this day off will recharge some guys. Of course, no one really admits that fatigue is an excuse, even though it plays a large part. When you're tired, you make physical and mental mistakes. And for a team that prides itself on the details, they are making far more mistakes than at any time this year. But all of the top teams have gone through a slump like this this year. And now it seems it's the Canucks' turn to toil in mediocrity. You can't play an all-in style. I'm going to pinch when I want, you know, I'm going to throw a puck out in the slot when there's coverage there. Um, you know, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to change bad when I want. I mean, those are the things that when I first got here, were, you know, those things just can't happen. You know, they can happen once in a while, I get it, but they've just been happening too frequently right now. The only way you come out uh, better for it on the other end is to work your way through it and understand uh, that maybe, you know, there needs to be a little more desperation and, um, you know, all the cliche words, certainly, but they all apply. So um, that's really the only thing we should be focusing on at this point. Then there's Elias Pettersson. His contract saga is well documented. Does he want to be in Vancouver or not? Only he knows, and he ain't talking. He, too, is scuffling, despite holding down 10th place in NHL scoring. I thought he tried tonight. You know, I think he's going to have to change a few things. I'm sure he wanted that one back. He threw it away. That's the stuff that... Usually he doesn't do. He holds on to it, makes the right play. You know, he's struggling, you know, in certain parts of his game. But, you know, he'll come out of it. You know, I think that uh, he's too good of a player not to to come out of it. Tough stretch or uh, we're in a bad stretch right now. Um, but we just got to look ourselves in the mirror and yeah, be better. 
And they are in Anaheim Sunday. The uh, Whitecaps uh, kick off their 50th season and 14th in Major League Soccer tomorrow, 4.30, B.C. Place versus Charlotte. Today, the club officially announced longtime captain and Whitecap lifer Russell Tybert has retired. He will join the front office. Tybert made 300-plus appearances for the Caps and always led by example. This year's club feels it's ready to take that next step to MLS Cup contender. We get more from Asa Rahman. The Vancouver Whitecaps finally kick off their MLS campaign against Charlotte on Saturday at BC Place. We're really looking forward to, to play in front of our crowd, of our fans, and to start the season with, uh, with the right foot. We want to carry over the, the excitement and the vibe and also the performance the team had at the end of last season. And we want to start hot and, and, and be up and, and running right from the beginning, especially also with uh, having five games at home in the first seven. The club has certainly shown their dominance at home, losing just three times in front of the home fans last year. Carrying some momentum from the previous season should be aided by the return of the club's core pieces. This is the third year that I have with more or less the same group. Okay, And I think that this is the year where we need to peak because uh, that's the, the first year was actually know each other. The second year it was a development last year. And this, this year, I think uh, it's our responsibility to try to get the best out of this group. The continuity also means the club hasn't filled the vacant designated player spot, which was filled by Sergio Cordova for the first half of last season. I, I see it as a positive because we haven't felt the urgency to fill it uh, for any need that we have. We, we are very confident that our team is uh, as good um, as it has been at the end of last season, uh, that it is better than at the beginning of last season. We'll get an idea of how good they are at 4.30 on Saturday when they kick off against Charlotte. It's a match that Vanny Sartini will be watching from a suite while he serves his suspension. I'm confident that uh, you know the team will, will do well and uh, the only other game before that I was suspended we won, so hopefully we can continue this tradition. Longtime Vancouver Canadians President Andy Dunn has stepped down after 16 years on the job. He's been the biggest reason the Canadians are consistently one of the top organizations in minor league baseball. He played a big part in getting the team affiliated with the Toronto Blue Jays in 2011. And from the business side to fan experience, it's always been first class with Andy Dunn. So good luck in his future endeavors. He definitely left his mark here in Vancouver. And the C's new season, five weeks tonight, starts April 5th. Canada West women's hockey finalists just happened at UBC. Thunderbirds, Alberta Pandas, game one, best of three, second period tied at one. Sophia Gaskell lines up, winds up and fires the blast to the top corner. 2-1 UBC. They were trailing 3-2, but with under four minutes to go, Annalise Wong battling in front, knocks in the tying goal. It's 3-3. We need overtime, and Joel Fiala just scored in triple OT to give UBC the win 4-3. The UBC men play Calgary in game one of the Canada West final coming up at 7 o'clock. And we'll finish with this. PGA Tour, Palm Beach Gardens, Florida. The Cognizant classic, Belgium's Thomas Dietrich, not cognizant that you want to put the ball in the hole. Uh, missed the first one for par. Then it unravels. That was for bogey, double bogey. Let's see here. This would be the fifth putt for Thomas. He's a pretty good player. You know? How about a quadruple bogey six putt eight? He had no way of making the cut anyway, but uh, thank you for making this all feel better. Someone should have just yelled, you're good, pick it up. But he's playing, we've all played with that one guy in your group who makes you putt it in, right? Norm, my buddy, Norm Gallicano makes it. <laughs> Throwing him right yeah, under the bus yeah, on the news yeah. out. Anyway, there you Norm, go. Norm, you should know better. <laughs> you should. That's, that's Norm.
That's normal. All right. Thanks very much, Barry. Appreciate it. We're back with the Green Men next. I just had this overwhelming feeling I was never going to see her alive again. I did see something suspicious, and I was pretty sure that I had caught the killer on camera. I kept on telling the police he's vulnerable, but they just not hear me. It's a really desperate feeling. It's your child. You want the whole world to help. And what he needed was help, but he was met with force. There's no excuse. That made me even more angry. He might not have gotten his hands dirty, but he did it. Crime Beat, Fridays on Global. All right, very quickly, we're going to go back to Surrey, where a protest is underway outside an event that features India's High Commissioner to Canada. Sanjay Kumar Verma is hosted by the Surrey Board of Trade, was met with a lot of protesters there. Troy, we know that Verma got inside the building, but the event itself is delayed. Chris, it's quite loud here at the moment, but when we spoke to you earlier, a, uh, a black SUV had tried to enter here at the Sheraton, and I'm told that the activists here, they prevented that from happening, and that SUV had to drive off down the road. The sick activists, uh, I'm told, are now blocking every entrance to the Sheraton. There's a few off the main road here. They say they're blocking one at the back. They're trying to present, prevent Mr. Verma from entering this event. But I'm told by the Surrey Board of Trade that Mr. Verma is already inside. But the event has been delayed because guests can't not enter because all the entrances are being blocked. The event was supposed to start at 6.30, but is being delayed because the guests can't arrive. So, as I mentioned, the activists, they're saying they want to prevent this from happening. They're doing their best right now to make that happen. But I'm told by the Surrey Board of Trade that Mr. Verma is inside. I'll have a full report on this coming up at 11. Still a very tense situation here at the Sheraton in Surrey. Okay, that's Troy Charles reporting for us tonight. Thanks, Troy. Look forward to that report on the news at 11 and earlier than that on BC1 too. Okay, now it's not easy being green. Kermit said it first, and especially after eight years off. But despite that, the Vancouver Canucks' most famous fans might be on the comeback trail, much to the dismay of the other teams. Aaron MacArthur reports. Uh, Realized that maybe a man who's 35 is not supposed to be wearing green spandex for fun. Putting on the suit one leg at a time. I was stress eating. After an eight-year hiatus, the Green Men are back. The diabolical duo, the Green Men! The crowd went wild, like a standing ovation. That cemented in my mind, okay, the fans do want us here. And up until that point, it was a big unknown, so I was very nervous. The Green Men first made their mark at Rogers Arena the last time the Canucks were contending for a Stanley Cup, sitting sort of, in seats next to the penalty box where they could taunt opposing players. A whole new generation of hockey fans has grown up only ever hearing about their antics. It seemed like the right time now to bust out the spandex again. People really see it truly for what it is. I mean, we're just trying to help the entertainment factor. So I think people see that and I think people have really responded. And I don't know, it's just super cool the way uh, people have gathered around it. Both Sully and Force are at a much different stage of their lives. Responsibilities and families. Sully lives in Saskatoon, but putting the suit away has never really been an option. And the response from the fans around the league has been overwhelming. 
We've always said we've done it for the fans. The most enjoyment I get out of it is, I mean, when the players are in the penalty box, sure, it's a lot of fun. I get more enjoyment out of taking photos with like kids and fans in the stands in between the intermissions or after the game. You kind of feel like a little bit of a superhero. The Canucks first approached the Green Men about a return engagement in 2020, but COVID. And then at the beginning of this year, they worked with the duo to highlight one game, and Boston seemed like the perfect fit. People lost their minds in there. It was deafening, and um, we just felt like we belonged, you know, and it was just such a great, warming feeling. The boys are game for a return appearance, especially if the Canucks make a deep run into the playoffs. But even if it was just a one-time thing, it was worth it. My wife went to school in Utah from like 2009 to like 2015, so she never really experienced the Green Man. I wanted to bring her to the game on Saturday, see some handstands, and then have her lose all respect for me. And while wives may have watched horrified, fans were thrilled to watch Force and Sully ride again. Aaron McCarthy, Global News. I bet she respects him even more now. Boy, if that Boston game is any indication, it could be pretty special uh, heading into the playoffs if they're around. You got to respect a guy who can wear a green suit like that uh, in his mid-30s. You got to go all in. There's no (laughs) doubt about it. Yeah, you got to hit the gym. Yeah. Uh, Springwear feels right on March the 1st, doesn't it, Christy? Absolutely. I mean, we, hard to say that when we did have snow in North Vancouver, we had downpours of hail. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to lighten it up a little bit with the shirt as we head into the weekend. Still the possibility of pretty much everything, uh, but a little bit more sunshine in the mix also. I'm right with you trying to push spring forward. All right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Hope you have a great weekend.